Welcome everybody to Today in Space. This is another segment of People of Science where we get to talk to people working in STEM, who STEM is a daily part of their lives. We learn a little bit about them, what makes them, what starts the passion to get them on this path, and then what they're doing uh, and what they're doing today uh, in the space industry, in science. Today, we get to talk to Steve Good, the Chief Commercial Officer of Ramon Space. We get to talk about supercomputing in space and everything that's going on uh, with them. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I look forward to uh, discussing uh, what we're doing uh, and space in general. Space is literally the next frontier and uh, uh, there's a lot going on in space. So uh, we're, we're at the forefront of, uh, of pushing the limits on what's possible. Awesome. So let's start with you. Let's tell, tell us a little bit about, about the person, Steve. Uh, what, uh, what got you started in STEM? Um, I got into STEM because um, I, I saw math as the universal language, the universal language uh, across everyone and everything. And, and I really uh, embraced physics as I was going through school. Physics is a way to explain what happens in our world, in our visual world, um, with force and mass and acceleration. And those two really came together in, uh, in university when um, I was able to, uh, to leverage my, my love of space, space being the new frontier. Uh, you know, I remember back watching uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of ties and a lot of elements that, that apply to what we're doing and where mm. the industry is going, you know, with, with spacecraft becoming more um, human, mm. uh, with humans relying more on technology as we push the frontiers forward. So I've always been a math geek. Uh, I like to joke that I was a mathlete in high school, which was cool back then, at least I thought it was. <laughs> um, and then I embraced physics and uh, learned that, hey, I can use math and physics to do satellite and space stuff. So uh, that's what really got me into STEM. And um, I've really uh, encouraged my kids, I have three kids, uh, to get into STEM as well, because I really see uh, math, science as being the one uh, universal uh, elements you combine those two together to bring us all together so that's what got me into stem in general i love that that's such a i don't think we've had someone give a, a math explanation for that but that's beautiful it's, <laughs> it's true like when i i didn't really see that until uh until i went to school and and it was people from around the world all doing in my case engineering uh -huh. um and, and you learn bits and pieces from everyone but everyone the science you could communicate with each uh -huh. other regardless of where you came from so that's right beautiful. that's right that's beautiful. So um, let's talk about, oh, well, first, was was there anything like, did you find math on your own? Was there a program? Was there a teacher? Did someone show it to you or did you find it yourself? I found it myself. I was big into, my father was big into sports. So I got into sports. Mm -hmm. I got into batting averages and shooting percentages and, you know, football touchdowns are worth six plus one for the extra point. So um, I got into math pretty quick and it resonated with me and, and some people, it just didn't click. Um, and, um, it just resonated with me. It was a love of mine. And then I learned that, Hey, I can use this, uh, <laughs> to make a career out of it. So, uh, I did, wasn't sure what I wanted to go to school to study. Mm. And I found out about, uh, electrical engineering and RF communications. And I focused in my undergrad on RF comms. 
And then uh, Hughes Network Systems came interviewing. So I went down to work mm -hmm. for Hughes and they introduced me to the world of space. Um, and it sort of took off there, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I, I've been in space for 25 years now. Wow. Uh, I've never really coded, I've never really um, uh, designed chips, but I've always been mm. in the problem solving. We as engineers, mm. we wanna solve problems. So I studied double E, um, uh, electrical engineering. I've been in the satellite industry for 25 years. I've continued that learning through through a number of ways, but you know, we engineers like to um, solve problems. And uh, some engineers like to work with others to solve problems, <laughs> which is what I like to do. So I went immediately yeah. into the uh, the business side of things, nice. uh, and, you know, and I, I've worked my way through post-sales support into sales engineering, into um, product development and management, mm. uh, and then into marketing and biz dev. So uh, I sort of worked my way back, if you will. So I've seen, mm. I've take, I <laughs> had to take those 24 seven uh, support calls in the middle of the night. Uh -huh. uh, so now as a product developer, as a marketer, and as a biz dev person, I know, I know what's on the other end of the line, if you will. <laughs> oh, that's such a beautiful thing to hear you say, because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in my day job, I work in it's support side of things as well. Um, and mm -hmm. I've done, I've done some pre-sales, post-sales in technology. Um, yeah. and having someone that understands that who's because the marketing side is saying biz dev is you're bringing the business in uh -huh. right and taking what we I guess I guess depending on I don't know how it looks in satellite but in tech it's kind of this is where we want to be this is uh -huh. the thing we're trying to sell you and then uh, bring you down the line having someone that understands that is the a, I think a beautiful combination in a company <laughs> Yeah, I think the uh, the whole sales engineering solution architect role is really where the magic happens, mm. because they're they're engineers, but they also have a a sales mind to them, and, and that's sort of where I came up through. So yeah, I did the post sales right. support, spent a lot of time implementing networks uh, and making sure that mm. those work, satellite networks, troubleshooting all sorts of things, uh, including trees in front of antennas, and wow. those are those are <laughs> tough to solve. So you got to move the you got to move the antenna, not the tree. Um, <laughs> And then moving into sales engineering and putting, solving customer problems, problems that they know they have and problems that they will have, that mm -hmm. they don't know they have, um, while being uh, responsible for the um, technical design, but also the commercial design and the commercial engineering around it. And, and that's sort of where the rubber hits the road. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I got upstream into product management, product development, and now as biz dev marketing, uh, market dev, if you will, um, talking the language and solving mm -hmm. problems. There's, there's a lot of engineering out there for engineering sake, but if you can't solve problems and make money out of it, then what's the point? Yep. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I love that. Um, no, that's that's a side. It's interesting because just because someone's an engineer or good at engineering does not mean they'll be good at the sales side of things. Exactly um, right. It's definitely a, a personality type, a type of person, um, and skill set. Honestly, um, so that's that's cool. That's that's good to know. Um, what what brought you to Ramon Space? So similar from the uh, the sales cycle back, I've worked mm -hmm. um, satellite ground equipments. I've made tried to make those work. I've made those work. Uh, I've flown satellites. So I was uh, I spent a long time at Intelsat flying fifty three some satellites and trying to fill wow. those up. Uh, I did service providing. I provided services, meaning you choose the best satellite, you choose the best ground equipment, and you you do services. Uh -huh. And then I thought to myself, well, why don't I start building satellites? So I was over at Talus for three years, uh, building satellites um, that would be either at Geo, uh, Mio, or Leo, and we can get, in, get into the orbits, um, geosynchronous, uh, medium Earth orbit, and low Earth orbit. And, and I saw a definite um, need in the industry. Um, 
you know, we, we are rocket scientists uh, here in our industry, but most of the science is in the rockets. So mm-hmm. we've done a lot of things to push forward and push the envelope in rocket science and getting us to space. We haven't spent as much time focusing on what we do once we get there. Yeah. Meaning <laughs> uh, what we're focused on here is, is taking Earth-like computing to space. Mm. So as opposed to just getting there, it, we, we're a very hardware-driven industry, the satellite industry and the space industry is. What we're trying to do and, and the need and the value proposition I saw here at Ramon.space is we're taking software to the skies. So mm. using Earth-like um, thought processes, uh, but in applying those to space. And it's not as easy as taking something commercial off the shelf and then just flying it in space. There's a lot of things to consider, uh, yeah. including the environment. But I saw a definite, it, it's cool engineering, you know, as an engineer, that 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 was cool. Mm. But having, having had to make money with satellite and spacecrafts, ha- having them uh, be less intelligent perhaps than maybe they could be, mm-hmm. uh, I saw the definite need and, and I was excited to come over and, uh, and, and, and head up the commercial efforts uh, here. So uh, every, everybody that I've talked to, the, our story has really resonated with them as well. So it's a, an exciting time to be here. Absolutely. Uh, we've had the opportunity to talk to a few people in, in this idea and it's opened my mind up to Number one, the need of supercomputing in space, and like I've been on this kick of what do the first fifty to one hundred years of humans really living in space, not on the ISS, but off off the ISS and and uh-huh. elsewhere, what does that look like, and what kind of computing power is going to need to be brought with them? Because like if you're talking about the moon or even more dire the Mars, like. Uh-huh. it's it's a you, you need to bring everything with you and it needs to work and it needs to <laughs> it needs to be able to be i guess good enough for the entire trip so um in the that's big picture of what i'm thinking about uh-huh. um so that's exciting yeah. a good example of that is the martian right with yes. uh <laughs> um with one individual left behind mm-hmm. and he has to make his way uh and navigate uh life and grow his own crops mm. and find his own water and fertilize those crops. And the communication to Mars you saw was very archaic yeah. uh, with the time lapse of minutes. Um, and, and one of the, uh, you know, you look at the basic human needs, uh, water, mm-hmm. uh, food, shelter, communication back to earth, communication to each other. Uh, so there's a lot of structure, if you will, a lot of elements that need to be considered before we go to the moon and stay a while, before we right. colonize Mars. So to just snap a finger and say, okay, I'm going to order 50 servers and send them to <laughs> Mars, that that's not going to work. But <laughs> engineering from the ground up uh, and, and providing the right technology that can do that is the proper route. Mm. And, and it feels like we're at this unique point where space is seeing this you know, almost 10 years of this initial push towards more progress, more money getting involved, um, people kind of coming back from the, the shuttle era. Um, it seems like there's a huge infrastructure uh, need that's, if, even if we wanted the progress to happen tomorrow, it, uh-huh. it's, not, it's not there yet. And it seems right. like there's a, a good amount of work ahead. And it seems like Ramon.Space is going to be trying to solve a lot of those problems. Yeah, we're going to need computing. We're going to need structures. We're going to need 3D printing. We're going to need uh, the ability to transform something into water. 
Uh, mm. Hopefully we don't have to transport that. We can find it in space somewhere. Right. Uh, there's a lot of science that can only be done in a vacuum. So uh, doing science uh, in a vacuum, setting up those capabilities. And then there's keeping humans safe, <laughs> not mm. having a 2001 HAL unit that says, no, nope, right. sorry, can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, keeping people safe, allowing them to communicate. Mm. Um, and a lot of it comes to, you know, what can we do on Earth? We can... Um, we can work with, uh, and, and the standards bodies are already looking at this. So considering satellite and space as part of a hybrid network, fitting satellite into hybrid technologies with the latencies and the jitters that are incorporated here, uh, here on Earth, uh, the latency and the jitters are going to be completely different as we go to space. So from the ground up, building something that works in space is gonna be key. It's not mm -hmm. a case where we can just take what we have here on earth and, and put it into space. So it takes right. folks that have flight proven technology that have done this in the past and uh, mm -hmm. understand the challenges of, uh, of space. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, so having gone to school for aerospace engineering, uh, I, I heard flight proven technology a lot. Uh -huh. um, and it was pre-SpaceX, so there was a little bit of the confusion of like, well, okay, if how do you get something flight-proven if there's really not an opening and there really wasn't a business case in those uh -huh. years for, for brand new things? It was, hey, just fly the thing that works. Uh -huh. um, how do you guys get to be get to the point where you're flight-proven? I, I know you guys have was over 50 missions because you've uh -huh. flown um, – what what how did you get there what what have you tested out where are you at now yeah so i'll talk about the missions first and then the economics mm -hmm. and the uh the ease of getting to space which has really um lowered the bar if you will to get demo units to get flight proven to get technology onto uh onto spacecrafts but we've done a number of things we've uh we've jumped on asteroids in the past uh the hayabusa 2 our technology jumped on an asteroid there That's to awesome. to find out uh, and it's still on the asteroid too which is pretty cool oh that as, is cool <laughs> as an engineer i tell my son that and he's like oh that's cool dad um we're orbiting mars so you know we're taking pictures of mars we're gathering information to send it back um we have gone closer to the sun than anybody else uh, and this is working with agencies so in the past we worked with agencies um we're, we're controlling instruments we're taking pictures uh we're compressing that we're, we're sending it back to earth to be to be evaluated and i'll talk a little bit about the need for uh remote uh, uh analytics mm. uh, we're going to uh to jupiter so we're going to be uh rotating around jupiter it's going to take eight years to get there it's a tough neighborhood radiation wise mm. so um so that's going to be a be a that's challenge a test yeah <laughs> that is going to be a good test and uh that was delayed a little bit but uh it'll get there <laughs> eventually yeah. um and, and, and another just a simple one is uh, the Cygnus mission from uh, from mm. NASA. Yes. So the reflection of GPS signals can actually tell you the, and it was neat to learn this, the speed and the direction of hurricanes and tides and shifts. Oh, so the wow. ability to multi-purpose a spacecraft and gather that data. So you mentioned the, word, the number 50. Our, our technology has been on a number of missions. We've had zero failures. So only with a purpose oh, wow. built from the ground up, uh solution can you do that and we're moving into leveraging that know-how that expertise into more of a commercial play working with the commercial folks so back to the point of how do you get flight proven um hats off to elon hats off to those in the in the launch industry there's new launch companies being birthed every month 
it seems like. So access, <laughs> access to space has gotten much easier, much more economical. Um, but space means a lot of things. Um, it means uh, uh, communications at LEO uh, is much different than communications at GEO. Mm. And MEO is a rough neighborhood radiation wise. So you need to harden, I think it's like 10 times to go to GEO, 10 more times to go to MEO. Wow. You need to make sure that uh, your spacecraft, the entire spacecraft uh, and the part of the spacecraft that we do is very key where the brain or the hearts, depending upon how you want to look at it. Right. Um, so if you launch something for, let's say at Leo, you launch it for five years. Mm. And for some reason, you're using off the shelf product that conks out in two and a half years, you've just lost two and a half years of revenue. Or if you take a GeoBird, which is even worse, you know, back in the day when I was launching GeoBirds, I had to have a crystal ball looking 18 years out because it took three or four years to launch. Wow. And then it was up there for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to use an old satellite that was des designed for one geography and take it to another geography. So, and as your mobility market changed and the fixed market came up and then the backhauling market would fall off and the mobility market would come back and then oil and you, you get the picture. So yeah. it could be consumer, it could, there's a changing markets and nothing designed today will be serving the same market in what is it, 2022, 2037. Right. So the ability to be dynamic and how you allocate your resources, one, you need to last for 15 years. Uh, and two, the ability to dynamically allocate the supply. And in our industry, the supply is not the spacecraft, it's not the computing, it's the spectrum. So what we as an industry need to do is most intelligently as possible, use our spectrum and allocate it and use smart physics to focus it in the right areas. Very cool. I, I am kind of blown away by how, I mean, I, it's silly to say, but space is really complicated there's so much going on <laughs> and you know with that lower lowered bar for access to space now we're also talking about drastically increasing the amount of space debris space communications that are out there uh -huh. and you know if it's not done in a smart way uh -huh. it's it's going to be a complete disaster <laughs> um <laughs> so Space situational awareness is, is, mm. is very important. So what we're going to need is uh, a more autonomous systems that can, that can work with each other and make sure that they, 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 they uh, you know, social distance up there, right. <laughs> uh, but also <laughs> social distance with others so that we're, mm. we're not, because we are a chain, we as an industry are a chain reaction waiting to happen. So we need to take more caution and, and more concern with our awareness uh, when we're up there. Uh, and at the end of the day, we do three things. We, we store data, we compute data, and we connect data. So the three of those are being done in different ways. And, and there's not a standard, if you will, that one constellation works with another, but there needs to be a more intelligent, more autonomous sort of <laughs> ecosystem, if you will, in, in space. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, the like, who decides that? Is that the, the industry adopts certain standards and then that becomes the the norm is that still something that's being figured out still something that's figured out i mean people say that they're uh, sustainable in space i'm not sure that there's a formal definition of that um <laughs> i think we all have a different definition of that um there's there's folks that take more um care and caution in making sure that they are a uh a proper citizen in space versus others so yeah. there are concerns uh both uh, physically and spectrally 
to make sure that everybody works in harmony. And, and there are some traffic cops, if you will, no pun intended, mm -hmm. that make sure that uh, everybody is transmitting, receiving on the same levels. But even then, there are games you can play to, to get around those. So sure. it, it's it's becoming more complex. It's getting more crowded. The the advantage of the democratization of democratization of space <laughs> is there's many more avenues to get to space. The negative is mm -hmm. the same. There's many more avenues to space. So you may get some players up there that aren't as cautious or uh, play won't play as well with others. Sure. Yeah. And it's it's interesting the the whole long term scope you know you mentioned like 18 years in orbit um also having like contingency plans for what if things don't go well and you have to do orbit like spacex just lost what was it 40 starlink satellites from uh from an emf like that's 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 bound to happen it's it's inevitable it's the environment um yeah how how do you guys think about things like that i, I saw i was looking through your website uh -huh. you know radiation shielding I, what are the different types of applications that you guys do that makes you guys unique to the industry yeah so so back to the three things store compute and move right yeah. so one um storage is becoming key so storing data especially for low earth orbit satellites that aren't always within view of their gateways so they basically take a large scan they store that data they wait until they're over the gateways and then they right. have a number of minutes to dump it, if you will. So mm. uh, it's growing in in scale, the, the amount of storage that's needed. But the amount of compute is even more important. So if you can make and I'll get back to the collision avoidance, which you were talking about here in a second. Right. But if you can make more decisions on that data locally, uh, one, you would you could compress that data. You could filter out that data and you're increasing the amount of good data, quote unquote, good data that you're storing before you get over your gateways. So edge computing, mm -hmm. edge processing, uh, intelligent decisions, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, those are important applications that are going to increase the efficiency um, while keeping the spacecraft the size that they need to be. And then connection. So connecting that data and making sure that the beams are focused in the right area, mm -hmm. that the uh, all satellites are, are, are a function of size, weight, and power. So how big are you? Uh, how, how big do you need to be? Uh, the weight is a function of launch cost. So how many kgs do you need to get up there? Right. And then power draw. And, and power becomes... 99% uh, of the issue when you're in space. Having mm -hmm. um, my experience there is with solar panels, they do fail over time, mm -hmm. and you need graceful degradation of a of a satellite. You don't need it. You need it to graceful gracefully degrade, mm -hmm. and then you can take the phrase de graceful degradation to a constellation. So more decision making mm -hmm. that a, con a satellite is out of orbit. Uh oh, I shouldn't be here, so I better deorbit now, and, and that's already mm -hmm. programmed into their into their intelligence, right? So the right. more intelligence, the more capabilities, and the ability to upload new code onto satellites are going to be key. Mm -hmm. Because once you launch a satellite, you don't want it to be there for 5, 7, 10, 15 years without the ability to reprogram it. Hmm. both from a commercial standpoint, but also from an emergency standpoint or a contingency standpoint. So hmm. we're really focused on reprogrammable Earth-like computing to store, move, and connect folks at either LEO, MEO, or GEO. Oh, that's wild. That's a whole nother level. Um, you know, I, I, in college, was lucky enough to be in a project where we worked on a, a 3U stack CubeSat um, the idea was to take solar solar weather readings, you know, take monitor the sun, um, 
and it was a fascinating project like the power the power management was such a huge part of it that <laughs> if you, when you don't work on it you don't realize it and it's uh it, it's pretty crazy but even like the computing power we could have had on on that tiny thing uh-huh. compared to today that's probably what's that's 2012 so that's it's a huge difference in in what's out there now um, and computers draw a lot of power hmm. so uh, they draw <laughs> a lot of power so designing it purpose-built with the lowest power draw possible you know we're, we're, we're creating a new figure of merit in this industry it's the amount of power uh, sorry the amount of computing per power per per watt hmm. so if you are drawing less power then you need less um a smaller uh, array uh, of solar panels, if you will, uh, and the longer the satellite is going to last. So if you can imagine commercially, you launch a satellite that you think is going to last for five years and it lasts for seven, eight, nine years. Well, it's all profit at that point. Right. Your, your cost is sunk. You're already, you have some OPEX, but the OPEX of flying satellites is very small, especially in a constellation compared to the actual cost of the birds. So oh, if you can extend that, it's all profit. One, you need mm. to get it to a certain point where you make your money back on the constellation or the satellite and then everything after that is all fill rate the more you can fill up a bird um and it, and it comes down to pre-commits you know I'll, i'm getting too commercial for the uh, your tech audience here but <laughs> every engineering every good engineering solution has a very um impactful commercial elements so mm-hmm. having to had to make money or lose money on spacecraft in the past that's very uh very core to my being (laughs) no absolutely i mean it's the business side of things uh it's that's i think a lot of people who work in stem or or want to work in stem don't don't realize like it would be great for science to work in a vacuum and we didn't have to worry about Uh the business side of things but at the same time like that's what helps push this stuff Uh um it's it's important to think about things like that um and there's a humanitarian element too right we're mm. bettering the human condition by learning about uh the solar system and i mm. learned recently that 50 percent of the um, climate change uh parameters can only be seen from space and the other 50 oh, percent wow. can be enhanced from space so we are bettering the condition and i won't get into the debate whether we should go to space to better the human condition or better our own human condition here on earth but yeah. we're doing both and it's also neat to know that you're using engineering stem for something good we're bettering the human condition we're learning mm-hmm. about ourselves we're learning about our place in the solar system uh, and also what's going on here on earth uh, our home absolutely um collision detection in space mm-hmm. let's let's head back to that um what are some of the things that you guys are doing in, in that kind of regard? First of all, you need to be autonomous amongst yourself and make sure that you're um, where you should be. Uh, reporting back down to Earth to the those that uh, uh, monitor and, and, and uh, keep track of where you are. So the ability to, uh, to report that back um, and the ability to be intelligent enough to uh, incorporate different data flows. So um, we are a space. We are the satellite industry. We're we we use satellites, but we use a lot of data. And big mm-hmm. data is getting bigger. <laughs> big data is getting bigger uh, exponentially. 
um, the ability to process that data, use that data intelligently, and make real-time decisions is going to be key. Mm -hmm. So we need to know that, hey, something's getting close to us, right? Or um, there is an event that we've seen, so be on the lookout. So it's not only the spacecraft themselves that need to make uh, decisions. It's those that fly the spacecraft. It's the Earth stations. It's the ground stations. It's mm -hmm. the terrestrial network tied into the satellite network. Mm -hmm. And once we make satellites invisible in a hybrid network, then we've really made it. Uh, we, we then, you know, the satellite industry, the connectivity industry uh, is pretty small compared to the overall telecommunications industry. Mm. Now, you'll see a lot of spectrum plays here with 3G and 5G, the ability to roam from ground into space, mm. the ability to grow for S-band, for instance, both in scale and scope. But the, the ability of a spacecraft to fluently um, speak to a hybrid network is going to be key. And, and the standards bodies are helping there, but we as, a, we as an industry need to make sure that we keep the pressure on. So collision avoidance is something that we cannot avoid, no pun intended, right? And we need to design in our spacecraft, in our brains, and in our uh, space hearts, if you will, the uh, the ability to, mm -hmm. to avoid. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's uh, the problem's going to happen so quickly, too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, literally, I think I've seen SpaceX launch four times in the last month, and that's just one company. Mm -hmm. um, so it's... <laughs> That's coming. That's coming for us, whether we're we're ready for it or not. So it's good to hear that you guys are working on that stuff. Uh -huh. um, what are some uh, specifics? So you guys are thinking of. Um, actually, let me ask this question first, because I, I have you here to throw this idea off of. So, I, I'm a little. I don't quite know. We've got the the delay of time between places right now, um, for data to go back and forth. Um, is that a problem that can be solved? Like you were mentioning the Martian is uh, that, that delay, is there something that can be done? Like we've done like with the repeaters for the, um, the subsurface cabling in the ocean, right? For, for all that stuff. Is there uh -huh. any way around that? Is that, is that a software solution? The delay is, is tough to work with. I mean, we're working mm. with the speed of light. So right. I haven't come up with a, uh, something faster than the speed of light. And if so, that'll be my own company. And you'll be hearing about that soon, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but we are limited by, we are, we are limited by the speed of light. Mm. We're limited by physics, uh, gains and, 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 uh, uh, losses along the way, attenuation, mm. things like that. So there are repeaters possible, but what we should focus on is what we can do remotely versus having to be done here uh, on Earth. Now, in the case of the Martian, mm -hmm. uh, they weren't anticipating an individual having to live off, <laughs> live off the grounds um, there. So their their comm system wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. um, but we could, in theory, uh, moving forward, 50 to 100 years in the future, have a network on Mars, have a network on mm -hmm. the moon. And I know folks are, are trying to do that. So there, there's, there are limits to the speed of light and physics that we, we can't overcome, but we can do other things intelligently as well. we as an industry have done that. We've, we, we started with spoofing. So uh, a geosatellite takes about a quarter of a second to go up to a geosatellite and down. Um, there are some chatty protocols that that just doesn't work with. So if you can spoof it locally and pretend that uh, a unit is talking to a server and then just take care of it on the link and spoof mm. on the other side, then you can open up 
uh, and you can unthrottle a link, if you will. So oh, that's, that's that's a very basic cool. way of opening up a pipe, as opposed mm -hmm. to having to wait for a handshake, go back and forth for every time. If you can right. spoof that locally, and that with, is with old school X25, SDLC protocols, some IP protocols as well. Mm -hmm. So there's similar fashions here too. So what decisions can we push um, out and, and you know and that's going to require reprogrammable units so something right. we sent it takes eight years to get to uh, jupiter we're not sending a technician up there to fix it <laughs> right <laughs> so you're not getting software uploads uh um, so whatever you send is pretty much going to be in operation for eight ten twenty years right so there are intelligent things we can do but unfortunately we're still limited by the laws of uh <laughs> laws of us uh physics well it's it's just it's a it shows this the sheer scale of what we're working with in space you know it's mm -hmm. it's so far that the speed of light becomes uh variable depending on the location uh, or the the amount of time i should say mm -hmm. um so when i love the idea of reprogrammable units that you're launching into space um and a thought came to me tell me if i'm on the right on the right note here mm -hmm. but you've got you've got satellites you can send up let's say over time you wanted to increase uh, the the bandwidth, the speed that you're sending that data on those passes, um, it's it's a interesting problem because of the the power needs. Where like something on Earth, you kind of are like, hey, if I if I can get power, I can make this as powerful as I need to. I don't have to worry about making it efficient. Um, uh -huh. I'm sure there's a whole art to thinking about a science to thinking about how to do that the right way. Especially when you guys have your own units, you've got a special um, uh, way that you guys can tweak that that other people can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's two things there. One is is maintaining power through the life of the satellite, mm -hmm. whether it be 5, 10, 15 years. So one, uh, low power draw is key. Intelligent power draw is even more key. Uh, satellites mm -hmm. at LEO and MEO aren't always on. So they can turn off at certain points and then they have duty cycles where they, they rev up their batteries and they don't use their batteries to transmit 24 hours a day. So you can be more intelligent in how you do that. Hmm. Um, with some spacecraft, you, 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 you can't change the functionality of those spacecraft. Uh, we talk about applications. You know, if, if I was to look back 15 years ago and figure out what applications are important now, I would have been wrong. Hmm. And if, we, if one says, what's going to be important in 2035, you're wrong. You don't know. But if you have the ability to reprogram, fully re reprogram your spacecraft, your processing, um, your your use of um, the supply we talked about before, with it, which is the spectrum, spectrum sure. teamed with power on the bird, then you can adapt and you can be resilient to applications you don't know about yet. And that was the big fear uh, back in the day when we were launching GeoBirds. Uh, a new application comes up five years into a 15-year life. Well, we can't support that. Right. Or um, I'm just going to use a geographic region. Uh, Africa was hot, but now it's not so hot, but we need it in Indonesia. But the beam for Africa is not sized for the beam of Indonesia. So you oh, sort wow. of twist it, but you don't have the right cities covered and the right areas covered. So mm. you need the intelligence and the ability to reprogram on many levels. It could be from a, a data processing level, but also on um, a software-defined radio radiation level. Uh, the ability to take that spectrum and channelize it and put it in different channels over 15 years 
Uh, and hopefully you can last for 16, 17, 18 years, and then you can put it into inclined orbit, uh, which extends the life 10 times. So there, there's a lot of things that, that reprogrammable units enable you to do. It removes the fear that your spacecraft is going to be uh, not useless, but less useful five years from now, even less useful 15, 10 years from now. So reprogrammable uh, payloads, mm. uh, the ability to be dynamic and to change to market needs is, is key. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, thinking about that as a from a commercial stand standpoint, that that your flexibility of your investment is now, I mean, it, it's a totally different investment than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, That's exactly right. Your business business plans are completely different now. You have you have less risk in the plan, which means you can take more um, uh, more commercial risks up front, um, and your um, your profile of of not hitting your numbers is much lower if you have an intelligent payload. If you have uh, something that's hardware based, that's fixed on a broadcast application, for instance, and that's where the satellite business came, the connectivity business came up. You send something mm -hmm. from New York, a broadcaster will send from New York, and then it's downloaded into all the cable head ends, thousands of cable head ends. You send it once, it's received many times. So a satellite doesn't need to be intelligent when you do that. Right. So one, linear TV, my kids don't watch linear TV. They're always streaming. <laughs> so linear TV is going down. I only watch it for sports um, or the news occasionally, but you can get your news online as well. Sure. So linear TV is is decreasing. But the challenge with broadcast TV is if you send if you need to send to 10 people, it's the same economics as sending it to 10,000 people, 10 million people oh. from a spectrum perspective, because mm -hmm. you're sending it up from New York, for instance, and it's coming down throughout the U.S., mm -hmm. Canada, New uh, uh, Hawaii, Alaska. So there is a transition and there is a, a flattening of demand, if you will, for that bent pipe connectivity, which is why you're seeing more software defined satellites, which is why you're seeing, and then you bring down the uh, orbits to MEO and LEO. The main advantage of LEO is the, the decreased latency, the ability to oh. decrease the latency. It's not a quarter second, uh, it's much quicker. And that's a big push. Yeah. But with Leo, you're so close to Earth that you can't cover a lot of Earth. So you need hundreds uh, okay. or thousands of satellites. So the economics are different than Mio, which is sort of like a Goldilocks, <laughs> if you yeah. will. Geo covers a third of the world. The old Arthur C. Clarke put three satellites up and cover the world. Yeah. Mio is closer. So it's a little bit better on latency, but it covers a much bigger area. Mm -hmm. And Leo is even smaller. So it covers a much smaller portion of Earth. So you need handovers, you need beamforming, you need a lot more technology on those. But the economics, the capex requirements are much different as well. Hmm. It's it's amazing the spectrum of not only opportunities but like applications just per orbit uh, are are now being accessible more than they've ever been before. Mm -hmm. um, so like the the all the different types of companies are going to pop out um, that are going to need this stuff. Uh, it seems like. Yeah, the, the sky's the limit. Um, no pun intended. It's not. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, is are there any other applications we haven't touched on that that uh, that are unique to you guys? The applications we're we're seeing a lot more need of uh, edge computing. So computing on the edge, making decisions, uh, data centers in space. So the sovereignty of space, the ability to store data or connect data centers uh, in space. We're seeing a lot of um, 
as I mentioned before, the challenge with Leo birds is you have a very limited uh, footprint. So the ability um, to downlink only in locations you want to downlink is our key. Mm -hmm. So the ability to, for instance, download only in five eyes countries and not into other areas that, that that's becoming oh, keys, yeah. having the intelligence to do that. Um, other things that we do is um, gathering insights out of data. So what I mentioned before is big data is getting bigger and people are buying, you know, we, we've moved from mapping the world to gathering insights, tying in social media feeds, tying it all together and creating insights and tasking these satellites autonomously as opposed to somebody who is, you know, the old telephone operator that's connecting the different, uh, take a scan of this, take a scan of that. And current day events show just how important the ability to uh, see data, whether it be uh, without clouds or through the clouds with radar, for instance, and make decisions based on that data quickly and not have to wait for hours, minutes, things like that. And that's that comes back to revisit rate. So if you're mapping the world, you only need to revisit it maybe once a week, once a month. Right. But if you're gathering movement of something or the height of grain barrels or something like that, you want to gather that multiple times a day. And that becomes more important uh, than simply just looking at pixels. Yeah, the the amount the amount of data that we want is, you know, we, we have it. We have so much data here on Earth that yet yeah, it, it space is only catching up at this point. Uh -huh. um, that's wild. That's wild to think about uh how things are going to change um and with everything that's going on today it, i mean what was once stable can you know tomorrow change so the the ability of you guys to be able to reprogram on uh -huh. on the fly is um you know this launch independence uh now payload independence you know uh -huh. and, and being able to adapt when things change on earth that's that's uh -huh. becoming more and more important yeah, intelligence has a lot of levels. I mean, from a from a satellite manufacturer level, how can I be more intelligent with my resource power? Mm. Um, from a um, satellite as a service perspective, uh, you know, you're seeing some some folks launch uh, apartment buildings in space, if you will. Mm. Give me a payload, and I'll launch five at a time. But the ability to uh, again allocate that power, allocate, making sure that everything works coherently, making sure that everybody gets the resources that they're signed up for, and proving to those folks that they're getting the resources they signed up for, mm -hmm. uh, that becomes key. Then you have the um, the folks that sell the insights themselves mm -hmm. and analyzing the data in flight, making decisions in flight, and then tying it all together. Uh, and it's different from uh, from Leo to Mio to Geo. And, uh, you know, the approach we've taken is we're vertically integrated. We design our own, uh, we design our own chips, use our own silicon. Love we that. incorporate that into systems. Uh, we are we are not commercial off the shelf earth um, equipment, which which does a couple things. One, it ensures the duration of life of the satellite. Mm. There, there, there could be uh, failures uh, of, of non space grade equipment that is that is flown. And, and two, we're, we're more powerful, we're, we're, we draw less power, we're more powerful, we draw less power. So we draw less power, physical power, but our computing is much more powerful and our decision making is much more, uh, much more robust. Hmm. I, I love that. Um, let's see, we had uh, the, the March 15th uh, release of this. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on this release? Um, did you did you want to 
go over that a little bit right now? No. We've uh, really staffed up over the past six months. I joined about four months ago. Uh, we're incorporating our technology, our know-how, our engineering, our radiation-hardened techniques into systems. So what we're launching here in um, at the satellite show, right before the satellite show, is the first of those three uh, things I mentioned, storage. So the ability to store data, um, to store a lot of data, <laughs> to store it um, with the right radiation hardening to make sure that there are no failures in flight. Again, you can't send up a... Uh, a repairman to, to fix it, right. um, but it, but it's all part of a platform. So once you store data, then you can also compute that data. You can compute before you store and you can connect. So intelligent uh, connections. So it's part of an overall platform. We have a family of products. This is going to be the first. Um, we're we're uh, ready to, to on launch that, to launch that uh, around the satellite show. Uh, there's definite use cases. We'll be doing some uh, some demos there on the booth. Uh, and it's the first of many. So, and what's interesting is we, we use the same base platform, base technology to do all three. So if you will, oh, wow. you could store, compute and process. And we have a family of products, a family of hardware, a family of software, but it all works um, together uh, very gracefully. And it, it provides the ability to do all three um, at the same time. But the first product we'll be launching formally is our uh, new stream product. And that is going to be the uh, the storage product, streaming data onto a storage device, if you will. Mm. Um, and it's part of that moving Earth-like computing into uh, into space. Yeah. And you know, one of the issues that we're addressing is um, moving uh, Earth-like storage capabilities there um, for really data-intensive applications that are gonna be needed. You know, we talked about space technology and, and all of that. Uh, and, and space is hard. <laughs> space is hard, tough environments. Um, so the folks that we want, that we're working with really can't compromise performance. And we're really pushing the limits in a good way in terms of size, weight, and power. And sometimes I like to flip that and say power, weight, and size because mm. everything's getting smaller. <laughs> the weight is a function of every kg costs money to launch. That's a one-time cost. Right. The long term is the power. How much power are you drawing of that finite amount of resource that you have on the spacecraft? So mm -hmm. we're very excited by it. We have a lot of interest. Uh, our calendar is full. <laughs> our demo booth is going to be full. And That's it's awesome. the first product of many that we'll be launching. That's incredible to hear. Uh, what kind of st do you have numbers to share on on the storage capacity? Uh, I'm just like fascinated by how does that relate to, I guess, in, in a real weird way, like your phone? Like, uh, <laughs> how much storage are we talking here? We'll be starting with one terabyte, two terabyte, growing up nice. to eight terabytes, 16 and beyond. So uh, it's no joke. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we believe that uh, big data is getting bigger. We're designing for five years from now, not designing today. Some of our customers are saying, well, we don't need that much. And we're like, just wait. <laughs> you yeah. will. You That's, will. Yeah, I say that every time I get a hard drive. I just have to buy uh, an 18 terabyte one because it's just mm -hmm. never enough. Um, That's right. So I hear you. Um, how does that compare to what's readily available right now? Um, I know one of the missions I was seeing recently was like 250 gigabytes. I think that's mm -hmm. what New Horizons went with mm -hmm. um, to Pluto. There's different different applications, and I, I don't like to quote uh, other other storage. Yeah. We believe that ours is north of that. 
we believe that we're we're you know one thing we're doing is we're preparing for the future too yeah. so a storage device could be a compute device could be a connectivity device later so mm. the ability to provide software you know we as an industry need to move space from a hardware business to a software business and that's the game changer that we're bringing to this mm. we're not a hardware we talk about terabytes of, of storage but we can do so much more than storage mm. uh, we'll be talking about um, later in the year our our compute product the ability to compute to uh, do artificial intelligence machine learning the ability to open it up to anybody that wants to write code in theory can write code and my code could be on a bird on a satellite Amazing. on a constellation so it opens open it's exciting as an engineer right yes. as a young engineer it'd be very cool to say my code is riding on that satellite or those satellites so the ability to offer that service to uh, users is very cool, and we want to we want to enable that. And back to why Ramon Space. That's one of the reasons why I came over here. That's beautiful. I, I'm, I'm really starting to understand why. I think you guys are doing some great stuff. So um, you're looking to, to to bring in some more people to expand. Mm -hmm. um, what what kind of I guess a, a message for anyone that's that's interested. What what kind of what kind of a place is Ramon Space? What, what are the people like? Mm -hmm. um, tell, tell us a little bit about that. What are you guys looking for? You know, it's a unique mix. Um, satellite, the satellite industry usually has satellite people, and it's a very small industry. We all know each other. We've all bought from, sold to, competed with, or teamed with <laughs> everybody else. Um, Ramon's taking a little bit different view. We come from the storage um, uh, background. We come from the earth come from the earth <laughs> we come we use uh earth-like computing techniques um mm. we have uh investors uh our board members are um uh, legends in the storage industry so bringing that new thinking into space has been very very interesting mm. so um we we're bringing on more space people folks that are uh, that have background on incorporating payloads into spacecraft those that have tried to make money on the service provider side like myself uh, and the satellite operator side those that have worked with the big primes that have built large hundred multi-hundred million dollar satellites mm. or multi-billion dollar constellations um, that that understand the the problems to be solved um, but it's a very fresh way of thinking and um, we're a small organization that's doing big things and we'll be growing very quickly over this year and next. And uh, anybody that, uh, you know, wants to, you know, the, the, the next frontier is space. Um, I would say it's computing in space because we've got there, gotten there. Uh, we're not ready to go further until we build the layers of computing out for us to go further into the solar system. So right. uh, for any uh, young folks interested in STEM, that are looking forward and think space is cool. One, it is. <laughs> space is hard. There are a lot of problems to be solved mm -hmm. and uh, new problems come up every day. So it's thinking outside the box, literally. Um, mm -hmm. It's working in a vacuum, literally, <laughs> uh, but working within an ecosystem at the same time. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, big things are happening. That's that's amazing. So uh, Ramon.space, uh, for anyone that wants to check out the website, um, you guys are going to be at the, uh, which, which satellite show? Satellite 2022. So nice. it's in uh, Washington, DC. So, uh, we're going to have a big team there, number of strategic meetings. Um, it really is going to be a big show for us. I'm excited for you guys. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be looking out for, 
for any kind of posts or stuff. Uh, do you guys post on uh, social media at all? Mm -hmm. Is there anywhere else people can follow along? Yep, we're on the we're on the Twitter, <laughs> and we're on uh, LinkedIn. So uh, you can you can uh, get updates from us there. Um, we uh, provide updates on our uh, website. We we did a good blog, a good blog. We did a blog, which I'll leave it to the audience whether it's good. <laughs> but uh, we we focused on software empowered satellites because mm. we as an industry need to move move beyond software defined to software empowered because software mm. is not a thing in itself. It's a thing that enables other things. So, and the ability to update that software, it's always changing. So you could launch something that is software defined, but if you can't change it, then what's the point? We're looking yeah. at software empowered, empowering somebody to do something different, empowering somebody to launch something without knowing what is in the future. If you're future built yeah. and future proof, People don't like that phrase, but if you're future built, let's stick to that. Mm -hmm. uh, you you don't need to be afraid of the new application that's going to be here three, four, five years from now, because you can reprogram, because you can change the allocation of power, because mm -hmm. you can change where the beams are, beams of one, if you will, right. over particular users. So mm -hmm. uh, only purpose purpose built, but with the ability to be flexible, solutions are going to work moving forward. That's a beautiful thing to think about um, launching a mission and having the ability to adapt the mission along the way. I mean, that, that seems uh, almost sci-fi in like, you know, we, we've seen it in non-technical sense in like Star Trek and stuff like that, where they're able to adapt along the way. Uh -huh. um, but to think that we're not only is there a monetary value to that, there's a scientific value to that, too, which I think is uh, understated. Um, uh -huh at least at the first uh, as I've, I'm learning this. So, um, Steve, thank you so much for, for joining us. Do you have um, any uh, last thoughts for folks? No, I just think that um, I appreciate you having me. Um, it, it was a pleasure to be on here and, and look back 25, 30 years on uh, why I got into, into space. Um, I appreciate the questions. Um, we're really focused on the next frontier and, and pushing things forward um taking uh, earth-like computing to space uh but uh, you know as, as people look at what's available out there i, I think that the fact that we're vertically integrated we do our own silicon we're doing it from the ground up it's purpose-built yet flexible i think that's really key and, and that's what uh, turned me on to it and uh the the, the value proposition I, I think speaks for itself the business problems we're solving are real and they're different depending upon orbit depending upon orbit, whether we're going to deep space again uh, and what the customers are trying to do. But there's a, <laughs> there's an interesting shift happening in, happening in the industry here, and we're, we're happy to be pushing that envelope. Well, you heard it here, folks. Steve, good. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast and sharing your story. I was honored to, to hear from someone who's had, you know, 25 years experience in, in, in this is uh, um, you've been around, you, you've, you've, I'm sure at this point, like you, is it more like an art? Like you just, there's some things you're, you come naturally to you because you've just been around it so long. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked for a lot of companies. Actually, I worked mm. for two companies twice, so I don't piss oh, anybody wow. off. Sorry. No, um, no. <laughs> That's important. That's important for people to hear. If they get, get it is a, them. it is a tight industry. So yeah. having, um, having worked on the ground in the air, service provisioning, building satellites, uh, like I said, we, we, we are a small industry. We're bringing in new thinking 
and uh, we can only take it forward. Uh, I, I look back, you know, when I decided to get into the space industry, it's very tough to leave the space industry mm -hmm. because uh, there's a lot of opportunity here and there and space is cool again. Space wasn't yeah. cool there for a while, That's but true. thanks to the privatization and money being flown into it, space tourism is going to be huge, uh, or at least people are talking about it being huge yeah. uh, and making sure that humans are safe once they get there. Those are exponentially more challenging than making sure that satellites remain alive for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a lot of challenges to be had, but we as an industry will get there. It's just going to take some some thinking outside the box, some mm. um, leveraging new technologies, but uh, and also not forcing it. So mm. if if you can't force one solution into a certain set of problems and I personally have tried to do have tried to do that and I've, I've failed at it. So <laughs> there's a lot of scars and a lot of gray hair on this head from um, from doing that. But it is a small industry and we all think space is cool and, mm. and we welcome the next generation to come in. I know that part of your audience are, are, are those in STEM. We welcome new ideas. We welcome um, different perspectives um, into the industry. So it's a good place to be. Awesome. Well, thanks, Steve. I don't want to take any more of your time. Thank you for joining us and telling us more about Ramon.Space. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening and for, for being a part of this episode. Uh, don't forget to check out Ramon.Space and everything that they're doing. Uh, spread love, spread science, live long and prosper, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Today in Space.